many of you pay close attention to what's written in the bulletin in terms of uh, the sermon title and such, but of course we've been studying through the parables of Jesus for some weeks now, and if you saw our text tonight and you saw that I titled tonight's lesson, God's Fragrance, you must have wondered, what in the world is that all about? Mark Twain once wrote, forgiveness is the fragrance that the flower leaves on the heel of the one who crushed it. That fragrance is to be characteristic of all Christians. As Paul puts it in Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's not easy. When we've been hurt, the last thing that we want to do is forgive that other person. How do we put aside our pain? How do we swallow our pride? The answer is found in Jesus. He addresses precisely that in Matthew chapter 18. And that's what we're going to be looking at this evening. Before we dig into the parable, though, that begins down in verse 23, I think it's helpful to understand something of the background. Has anyone ever caused you great pain and anguish? You ever thought about somebody and they make you so upset that you just get mad when you think of them? Did someone ever say that they're sorry about something? only to turn right around and do that very same thing all over again? Have you ever found yourself saying, how long can I go on repeating this process and forgiving this person? Well, if you've ever asked yourself any of those questions, then you can identify with Peter here in our text. He questions Jesus, Matthew 18, verse 21. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, How often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 70 times seven. Now, if we wanted to go even more widely into the context here, Jesus had just been teaching about how to deal with a brother or sister who sinned against him. And in short, without getting too far into that, He's laid out a process that promotes reconciliation. We're seeking the forgiveness of that brother or sister. We're seeking the restoration of fellowship with them. And that discussion prompted Peter to ask, all right, well, just exactly how far should I go in this? He knew Jesus wanted him to forgive others. And so he wanted to know, all right, well, how often do I need to forgive them? And he sets a pretty high standard for himself. Seven times? I mean, let's be honest. We have enough trouble doing one time, don't we? And so for Peter to say seven times, that's actually a pretty high bar. And we should note that he doesn't just pull this number seven out of thin air. We need to consider this in the context of what the rabbis in the first century said. Some scholars say that uh, some of the rabbis taught that you ought to forgive seven times. This is a number of completeness, number of perfection. It's a highly symbolic number, so some say that. Uh, Most scholars I've read say that 
Even the most liberal rabbi said that you only needed to forgive three times. At any rate, the point is this is the maximum amount you're required to forgive, and after that, they were on their own. And I should point out, these are the liberal rabbis who said that. The conservative rabbi said you only needed to forgive once. And after that one time, if they went and did it again, then they're out. So in any case, we consider that rabbinic background, and Peter, at the least, he's going every bit as far as those most forgiving rabbis. There's a good case to be made here that he's actually trying to one-up Paul. But Jesus doesn't commend Peter for how merciful he is, how magnanimous he is in wanting to forgive a sinner. Jesus said, no, you need to forgive 70 times 7. Now, if you remember your multiplication tables, you do the math, that's 490 times. Those sevens are really easy if you grew up watching football because that's a touchdown plus an extra point. Seven, 14, 21, 17. All you guys know those sevens really well if you even know them. But that doesn't mean that we're to keep a list on the refrigerator here with tally marks for everyone that we've forgiven. And once we get up to 491, all right, don't have to forgive them anymore. No, the point here is to keep on forgiving just as long as there's a need for it. We're to go far beyond the limits of what human beings think we need to go to. And then we need to go even further than that. Forgiveness should flow from us as Christians, just like water comes up out of a spring naturally. We're to be people who are characterized by forgiveness. It should be something that is characteristic of us. We should exhibit it in all aspects of our lives. Forgiveness is to be a way of life for God's people. Now that's a standard that's so high it seems to be almost impossible. But I think just here there's something that should comfort us. And that is that God doesn't ask anything of us here that he's not willing to extend to us anyway. So when Jesus tells us to forgive fully and freely, that's because God forgives us fully and freely. And then, just as he does so often, Jesus tells a parable to hammer home this very point. The story here is of a king settling accounts with his servants. It begins in Matthew 18, verse 23. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he couldn't pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had in payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of the servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed. And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant 
as I had mercy on you. And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all of his debt. So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from the heart. This servant owed the king 10,000 talents. Now we need to put that in perspective. One talent equaled 6,000 denarii. The denarius was one day's wage for an ordinary unskilled day laborer. So you do the math on that. Multiply 6,000 by 10,000. And what you find is that this man owed the king 60 million denarii. Remember the denarius is a day's wage. He owed him 60 million days wages. That means that that man could work day in and day out, no holidays, no sick days, no taking the Sabbath off, for 164,000 years before he would be able to pay that debt off. So in other words, when he says, have patience with me and I'll pay you everything. No, he won't. That's absurd. He will absolutely never be able to pay that off. And the master knows that he will never be able to pay that off. It is quite literally an impossibility. And so he has a debt which can never be repaid. But the master forgives him of it fully and completely. That should have motivated him to show that same sort of kindness to others out of gratitude for the mercy that had been extended to him. But unfortunately, that's not the case. He went and found a fellow servant who owed him one hundred denarii. Now remember, the denarius is a single day's wage, so we're talking about a hundred days of work, less than four months. That's a lot of money, but that could easily be paid off. If we think, just to put it in modern terms, if we think of a hundred dollars as a nice round number in contemporary terms for a, a day's wage, and that's a little more than twelve dollars an hour for eight hours of work, that's a good solid wage for an unskilled laborer. So to make the math easy, $100 for a day's wage, we're talking about $10,000 versus $6 trillion. $10,000 is nothing to sneeze at. That's a lot of money, and yet that's an amount that can be paid back. It might take more money than that to get a used car. You can take out a loan to pay that back. Six trillion dollars is more than the gross domestic product of most countries in this world annually. The numbers are ridiculous. This is a ludicrous comparison. The difference here is astronomical between these two figures. And that's precisely the point. Jesus is using these two numbers to make this example as, as absurd as he possibly can. This one servant would never be able to repay this debt. This other absolutely would. But that forgiven servant wouldn't extend that same forgiveness to that fellow servant who owed him a, a relatively trite 
and said he had him cast into debtor's prison. And when the other servants saw that, they were upset naturally by what they'd seen. They went and they told the king, and he threw him into prison for failing to show the same kindness that he received. You know, I expect when Peter heard this story and reflected on it, 70 times 7 seems to look even more attractive, right? The question we really want to ask tonight with with this parable is pretty straightforward, but as always with these things, the real rub is in the application. What about us? What about the forgiveness that we experience? I read a story about They've been married for 15 years, and they've been having some problems. They hit a rocky point, and they're having trouble working out some of these differences, so they decided to try a a new tactic. They went with what they called a a fault box, and every time the other one did something that uh, annoyed them, irritated them in some way, they'd write it on a slip of paper and put it in the box. And at the end of a month, they all, the, the two sat down at a table, and they opened up the boxes, and they read between the two pages little slips of paper and the husband started first he one by one read his wife's frustrations with him you know things like left the top off the jelly jar wet towels on the floor shoes and socks left in the living room on and on and on and on things like that he ruminated while he was reflecting on those things the wife opened up her box and started to read her slips of paper and on each and every one of those repeatedly was the simple message I love you now ladies that's the way I read the story so I'm sorry that I made the husband the hero of it you could as easily flip it around if you want to illustrate it and make the same point the point is this we spend so much of our time focusing on how others hurt us the way that we've been wronged by people That's the attitude of the unmerciful servant, focusing on how his fellow servant has wronged him. That's really the attitude of Peter in that question that he asked. How many times do I have to forgive someone else who sins against me? But this parable forces us to consider how God treats us. If God wanted to make a list of all of the ways that we've wronged him, sends to us again and again and again is I love you. That's what we hear from God. Just as that servant should have been motivated by the kindness his master extended to him to show mercy, so we too ought to be motivated by the kindness God has extended to us to forgive each other, to extend mercy to each other. We are called by God to forgive this Take you back to the text I mentioned at the very outset of our lesson, Ephesians 4.32. Paul says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ has forgiven you. Paul stressed this very same thing in his letter to the young preacher, Titus. Titus chapter 3, verse number 2, Titus is instructed to challenge the church in Crete to remind them, chapter 3, verse 2, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. 
That's not easy to do under the best of circumstances. It definitely wouldn't have been easy to do there in Crete. That's where Titus is. Uh, the term Cretan has come down even in English as an insult for a reason. Cretans in the ancient world were proverbial because of how unlikable they were. Uh, Paul actually quotes Epimenides' paradox back in chapter 1 of, these le of this letter. Uh, one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, slow bellies. them a lot more harshly than we want them to judge us. 
When we fail to show mercy to others, the fellow servants, to put it that way, they begin to notice. And they'll start to treat us accordingly. Forgiveness instead blesses both the giver and the receiver. The one who receives that forgiveness, they're blessed because they're freed from that guilt. The one who gives it, they're blessed because they're freed from the bitterness that they'd be carrying around by harboring that grudge. And they'll be treated more compassionately by God and by one another. We need to remember finally that when God forgives sin, he not only forgives it, but he gets rid of it. That's one of the great promises of the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 that whole paragraph, Jeremiah talks about the fact that it will come to pass that I'll establish a new covenant, says the Lord. And he talks about how it's going to be different than the one he made with their fathers. But one of its distinguishing features is that I will forgive their sins and I will remember their iniquities no more. The slate's wiped clean. It's as if it never happened. If we're to forgive as God forgave, we have to be like God. Now, I know that we don't have the ability like God to just magically wipe it out of our memory. That's not what we have. It's impossible to some degree, but we don't have to dwell on it. We don't ever have to bring it up again. You know, sometimes you'll hear people say, well, I'll forgive you, but I just won't forget it. Thank God he doesn't deal with us that way. Or sometimes people will say, well, I forgive you, but then they'll bring that up again. Every chance they get, they'll throw it back in your face and weaponize it. They didn't really forgive me. They didn't forgive me. These attitudes are completely foreign to the way that God deals with us. A number of passages teach that. God forgets our sins. The 103rd Psalm, verse 12, is removed as far as the east is from the west. Micah chapter 7 and verse number 19, he will cast our sins down into the depths of the sea. They're lost. They're there. If we want to be like God, we must forget fully and completely. We must forget. We can't bury the hatchet with him in the pig's mouth so that we can go by and grab it more conveniently in the week. forgive someone, that sin no longer exists. It's as if it never happened. Jesus teaches that God will deal with us in the same way that we deal with others in the Lord's Supper. We hang on to keep what's him to deal with you as you deal with others if you need his forgiveness tonight know that he's ready eager willing to extend it take the opportunity to do that and he will be known by all of us